What's up, everyone? I'm your host, Tiffany Hoyd, and you're listening to Hogs Havens Riled Up. We're riled up to bring you the hottest Washington Football Club topics with a twist. And that's Washington Football Club until we can find a new name. Dan Snyder has that on the horizon. Much in store for you today. We have none other than the Emmy-nominated superstar of the NFL Network, Steve Weiss. Steve is a graduate of the illustrious Howard University. Welcome to the show, Steve. Oh, thanks for having me on, Tiffany. I appreciate it. Oh, it's it's a pleasure. I was just saying that to you, but I know our audience is going to love this. They watch you just like I do on the NFL Network. <laughs> uh, you got in. You got into sports journalism at a time when there weren't that many black faces, and you've been a trailblazer for us. So I, I do again. I can't say it enough. Thank you. But walk us through that process and graduating from Howard. Well, I mean, you know, it was. You know, I came through at a time I paid my dues like a lot of other people. Um, I started out in Richmond, Virginia, as a newspaper writer covering high school sports at the Richmond Times Dispatch. Um, two years later, I worked, went to the Miami Herald to cover high school sports there that eventually morphed into covering, you know, pro boxing and then the dolphins and then the Miami heat. Um, I got hired by the Washington post to come up there and cover the NBA. So I covered the wizards, you know, when Michael Jordan came back for not the last dance, but for another dance, (laughs) you know, after the last dance. Um, and after that, I went to Atlanta. We're actually covering college football, University of Georgia. Um, again, I'm still writing for a season, and then I ended up covering the Atlanta Falcons um, for five seasons. And while there, we you know the Michael Vick dog fighting uh, right. episode happened, and you know that really brought a lot of national attention because my partner Daryl Ledbetter and I, and Daryl still covers the Falcons for the uh, for the AJC. You know, we were really the leaders on covering that story. It's a very difficult story to cover, um, but I got a lot of national attention for that. NFL Network uh, offered me a job, and I steadily made the transition from writing to doing TV um, to where now I'm kind of the senior guy (laughs) at the network. I've been there since 2008, so for me to last that long, you know, at a network uh, as a black man... um, kind of with the forum that I have, you know, I'm very, very grateful um, to a lot of people who paved the way for me, the Bill Rodens, Michael Wilbon, David Aldridge's of the world, um, Brian Burwell. um, And I I just love where I am right now, seeing so many fantastic people like yourself and Kimberly Martin and MJ Acosta and, and so many, you know, black people, especially black women doing their thing in in the sports world. you know, it's just really been a heck of a heck of a ride. It's not over yet, but uh, it's an interesting time that we're in. It's a super interesting time. Um, twenty twenty has not been a lackluster. Let's say that. No, no. <laughs> Uh, you you talked about your experience with the Washington Post and covering the sports teams in D.C. As you know, this is a Redskins podcast. Uh, big things are happening in D.C. Uh, I know that you've actually talked about the name in the past. Uh, what are your thoughts on the Redskins name change? It's long overdue. I've never said the name you keep talking. Um, <laughs> because where my parents grew up, where my mother grew up in southwest Virginia, um, the 
there were some native, uh, you know, some native territories. I've been told it's in the blood. I've done the genealogy. It's, it's kind of hard to find, but I was raised a certain way to respect the native culture. I've been, I've, I've just dug deep. I'm an avid reader. I've studied a lot of the different nations, the different cultures, uh, a lot of the, uh, beliefs, a lot of the great stories, some of the great historical events, even going up to, you know, Russell Means and Leonard Peltier and the things that happened up in North Dakota in the 70s. Um, and it's long overdue. You know, right. look, a, a couple of years ago, um, you know, I work with the Native American Journalists Association from time to time. And we had a group of students, fellows and teachers at the NFL Network. And we had some of the top leaders from the NFL Network come meet with us. And to a person, every one of them um, was adamant at, at that was a that was an insensitive name. It was offensive, and the passion that came out of these people is everything I had heard before. You know, and so when I hear a lot of people make the argument like, "Oh, it's not offensive; it's upholding um, a lot of Indian, you know, a lot of Indians and natives in, in a ceremonial way," I'm like, "No, you haven't spoken to the people. You haven't seen the people. I've been to reservations and done work. It is offensive." It is offensive, mm. and it is long overdue that this this name was changed. It's it's just a shame. I'm glad it's overdue, and I don't want to hearken too much on the circumstance, but it is a shame that it took fellow owners and sponsors <laughs> to make this happen as opposed to doing the right thing that should have happened for the right reasons. I concur. Absolutely. Uh, that brings me to my next question on Dan Snyder. A lot of people have been talking about the fact that he's really making this name change because one, the climate that this country's in, and then two, because enough people leaned on him, um, not necessarily because it was his decision to make the change. I don't know what your thoughts are. Well, I mean, that's that's the case. Right, yeah. I mean, just that, leaned that's, on that's enough. That's the case. Leaned and Snyder said for years, I mean, this isn't the first time this issue has come up. I mean, ever since I can remember, there have been people talking about this. And, you know, from Jack Kent Cook, you know, to right. Daniel Snyder, you know, then you know the, the history of their formerly, of their racist owner, Preston Marshall, George Preston Marshall. Yes. Um, and Daniel Snyder was like, I am not changing this name. I'm not. I've, 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 I've talked to natives. They're okay with this. Hmm. I've donated money. They're okay with this. Um, no, but it took, it took the current climate. It took you know, some of his fellow owners in his ownership group. And it took some of the, some of his key sponsors to say, Hey man, it's time because he has just been so adamant and so passionate and so insistent that he would not change it in previous years, that it took a monumentous occasion like this to make it happen. But always remember in American history, integration was not voluntary. It was court ordered. No, it was court ordered. It was, it was done legally. So sometimes change has to be forced and that's what happened here. That brings me back to what you were saying on the name change and uh, you speaking to uh, different members of the Native community. I believe, it is my opinion, that the name should still link to them in, in some type of homage. Um, but I think it should be their choice. Uh, I know people have said fans should vote on the name. Uh, but just because the name was so offensive for so long, I think that it's... It would be, it would be appropriate for them to get a say. 
Yeah, uh, I just don't know how many would sincerely want to be. I would think some folks <laughs> might want to be engaged, but at the same time, they were never engaged before. Mm. Um, hopefully, something like this, whether it's a name change or whether it's something the organization can do um, for a lot of natives, because there's a lot of a lot of nations that are in trouble. Um, yes. You know, look, there's a tremendous suicide rate on Indian reservations, especially with young women. There are a lot of health issues um, on Indian reservations. Maybe the team can do something that way. Um, so it can be genuine instead of instead of consulting them on a name change. I, I think that's what we're seeing now with the you know things happening with Black Lives Matter and pro athletes and these teams stepping out is they're not just doing things slogan wise, right? These people are really working the community to make change, they're working the system and legislators to make change. And I think that's where the organization can make a far greater impact than making a consultation about a name. Yeah, I, I think that in this climate, people are tired of um, things to pacify communities. Um, and then actions being taken, like, okay, here you go, just like here, instead of like a true apology and some type of, like like I said, homage towards these communities that have been underserved and uh, impeded upon in the nation. Yeah, and when it comes to this name... I mean, look, there's a lot of people who, um, you know, they remember the great teams and the name that, that came with this team. I mean, Doug Williams is one of my heroes. And I know Doug well. I do work with him with the Black College Football Hall of Fame and some other things. And, you know, when I was at Howard, that's when it happened. And what he did to galvanize that city at that time in the late 80s was remarkable. But I just, I could never, ever, ever... Um, feel great about that team because I knew historically they were the last team to sign a black player. They had to be forced to integrate their team by the president of the United States yes. uh, who said, if you want funding for your stadium, you've, you've got to do this. And instead of using the first overall pick that they had to draft Ernie Davis, they traded the pick. Now they traded it for Bobby Mitchell, who turned out to be a great player. Um, but their owner was just so, you know, so just knowing that, yeah, just knowing that history. And my grandparents who grew up in Hampton, Virginia, were turned out to be Cowboys fans because they said I would never root for that organization because of that. You know, I had that inherent bias in me. But there's a lot of people who feel that way. That's why you have so many people in D.C. who are Cowboys fans. Yeah. People think it's just because they're being the anti, you know, Washington football team. It's because of that. And that history. And so, you know, I'm sure I'm biased when it comes to the name change. And But I also am educated. I've also dealt with the people who have been hurt by it. And so when people say it's, it's, it's not racist, it's not this and that, talk to somebody. Talk to somebody from the Sioux Nation, from the Choctaw Nation, from the Cherokee Nation. Talk to them. Talk to them and, tell, and ask them instead of making an assumption. And I'm sure that that will open their mind. I, for one, this country is going through something where we need to learn. We're learning forcibly, thank, thankfully, forcibly, um, how to communicate with one another and how to see other people's viewpoint. Um, and that's thanks to the Black Lives Matter movement, I believe. Uh, what are your thoughts on 
the movement and the NFL's stance on making a true effort to engage with Black Lives Matter? Well, first off, I think you're, you're being really, really optimistic and positive about people <laughs> listening to one another. Um, when every day we see videos of people oh, not listening. But they have things. to. They're required but, at this point well, to see it at the very least. Well, I mean, listening and hearing are two different yeah, things. Um, but I do think things are different because there are, and you know, my first comment was a little tongue-in-cheek, so to speak, but... No. Um, there are more people of different ethnicities listening and taking up the cause because they saw a man die under the knee of a neck of a police officer in the midst of a pandemic, which gave them no excuse not to pay attention. And that's why this is happening. And the NFL were some of the observers of that. Okay. Initially they put it a boilerplate statement. Oh, uh, we, you know, our yeah, condolences, blah, blah, tough. blah. <laughs> and then the players came out, and the players came out like, no, this isn't what it's about. Speak up. You, Yeah, you need you need to actually see what we saw and understand how we feel. And Roger Goodell, instead of waiting for permission from the 31 plus the Packers <laughs> ownership groups, stepped out on his own. He stepped out on his own with some help from some black people in the NFL office to say the NFL would not be what it is without its black players. We haven't listened. We haven't done this. Black lives do matter, and we will be taking initiatives. Because oftentimes, you know, look, and I, and I work for the NFL, right? Mm-hmm. So, so, you know, but I, but I, you know, I'm not, I'm, I'm speaking truth here, not public relations. A lot of times the mm-hmm. NFL will just write a check and say, okay, we're going to write a check to a cause, and that's all our involvement. But now players are saying, we can't just be pissed. We have to lead. We have to be involved. Whether it's trying to change the educational systems, because we're seeing the digital divide during COVID, right? Where a lot of poorer people don't have the laptops to, to, to learn virtually from home. So, so a lot of people are putting their efforts that way, to voting drives, to going to legislators, to try to find different district attorneys that will hold wrongful police officers accountable. To you know, So this is in full swing. Now we'll see when the season starts up if the commitment is still there. I'm waiting to see that. But I think this feels different just because so many other ethnicities – are finally coming around and like you said, at least listening or hearing, to what people have, you're hearing what people have been screaming from the rooftops for years. For, for for decades about Centuries. the wrongdoings in this country. Yeah. Yeah. This this is a powerful time and I was actually talking to someone about it. Uh, Ed Hill from Howard. I know Ed quite well. Yes, yes. I was talking to him and he was um he was optimistic about the movement and what I told him was, I appreciate that this movement doesn't have a one leader or doesn't even have like a, like a one main person to look to. This is truly a people's movement. And I think that's what will make it a movement and not a moment. And that's across the board from the LGBTQ community to women's rights, whatever it may be. Um, Native Americans, 
people are able to at least put their voice out there. So if there is someone who is willing to be receptive across racial lines, gender lines, sexuality lines, whatever, people can put their, put their word out there and speak their truth. Well said. And the fact that there isn't an individual leader, I think, is important. And when it comes to the NFL, you know, Colin Kaepernick is the galvanizing True. keystone to all of this, right? In 2016, people forget 2016, the, the country was going through the same exact things, sure. right? We saw video, we saw the video killing of Alton Sterling in Baton Rouge, Louisiana by police officers. And then the next day, Philando Castile getting shot by a police officer up in Minneapolis. And Licensed gun carrier. Right, but it, but it, it's not like we didn't see these before. It's not that we didn't hear about these before. But mm-hmm. because of the COVID nineteen, we're home. Yes. Right, and so so we we're, we're we're beat over the head with this, and our hearts are sick. And you know, that's when Colin Kaepernick four years ago was trying to say, "This is going on. We need to do something about it." But he was ostracized. Right, the one mm-hmm. the one person who who stood up for this to be a leader lost his career right mm-hmm. he had some people who held him up and, he, and he's going to end up on the right side of history but who held him up as a symbol and other people who held him up as the antichrist so to yes. speak and to your point the fact that that con kaepernick is the keystone but now you've got you know five million other people of all races of all ages of all ethnicities of all genders of all sexual preferences rallying around it now instead of it being one person um like you said makes it feel very very different and you talk to harry edwards and jim brown and all of these people who've tried to do these things before and they will tell you this is different i'm still i'm still somewhat um jaded because we've walked down this path a little bit before to some degree and come up heartbroken so we'll see but in terms of the nfl and what what it's what it's doing I can tell you from the inner workings, it seems very sincere. Um, but again, I just want to see once games start, um, if, if that energy is still the same. Yes, and I do I do like to give the NFL a little credit in the fact that I think from a hiring standpoint, I've always seen that they, they've tried, in the la- in at least the last couple years, have really put a precedent on minority um engagement or minority uh, workers careers within the NFL and I've appreciated that because that was a long-standing thing where the people on the field are black but no one behind the scenes is black and you must know more than me <laughs> oh you don't you think must, it's you don't think it's getting a little you better you must know a lot more than I do you know from the lack of black head coaches uh. to the lack of black general managers and then in to the cases there are three and two to the lack of black coordinators there's work to do man there's, I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of talk about doing it but there's plenty there's plenty of work to do i can tell you that i love your energy right now you're you are you're speaking the truth like you're not accepting a little bit i think i'm accepting a little bit like okay it's better than what we had but the fact of the matter is we we deserve so much more as as Americans, forget you know, forget the history of it all. But like, there needs to be equality across the board, and unless there's equality, it's not enough. We need an opportunity to get the job. That's I think that's what anyone asks. May the best person win, but when 
opportunities are there and they're going to your fraternity brothers or things like this. And this is, this is in corporations all across America. That's what's frustrating. I mean, when you see an Eric Bieniemy, the <laughs> offensive coordinator for the Kansas City Chiefs, went oh. to Super Bowl, coach is Super Bowl MVP. He's, he's the coach for the best quarterback in the NFL. Right. And there's people say, well, he doesn't call plays long enough. Well, you know what, Matt Nagy didn't call plays. Doug Peterson. Yeah, I mean, there's always an excuse, right? There's always an excuse as to why somebody didn't do something. In the last two years, the NFL has had what we call a quarterback coaching summit. I've emceed some panels there. I've been part of this. And when you show up and there's 70 coaches, Polynesian, Latino, and black, mainly on the offensive side of the ball, many of whom call plays like Tony Elliott, the play caller for Clemson, which wins national championships, which has a top quarterback coming in. And they're there. And these NFL executives, the handful who show up say, well, I, 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 I mean, they said it on the record. I have, I had no idea. And I say to myself, like, okay, that's great. You know, now they're discovering this. But then I say to myself, if someone's covered for this league a long time, when these guys are scouting potential draft prospects, they can find out the color tuxedo that they wore <laughs> to their senior prom. Facts. But yeah. they can't find out that this guy's been a successful play caller or he's developed two quarterbacks who've had prolific careers and gone on to the NFL and made rosters. Like, I, I, There's always an excuse, right? There's always an excuse. And so hopefully, you know, that's, that's the next wave we have to get through when you talk about making legitimate commitment to diversity hiring in the NFL among its teams, among the NFL, you know, operative organization as itself. Um, that's 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 the huge huge leap that they've got to, they've got to start taking that what you just said right there that is the story of the minority life in America there's always an excuse for why we don't get certain privileges oh we didn't present this quite correctly and um one of the reasons remember reason- it is not privileges it is opportunity there's a different opportunity thing. A, yes a lot of people say why do you want this why do you want that why aren't you happy with this we just want a shot okay if we're not good enough that's on us okay but if we're better than someone else then give us that opportunity that's that's what the focus need to be don't give me a, a seat at the front of the room just because i'm black give me an opportunity to earn it wow that that's it right there that that's the mic drop give give us the opportunity to earn it and um for for the redskins i think which will formerly be named known as their name yeah you need to stop using that washington's name. football club there let's you call go. it that washington's football club for washington's football club uh they have a chance here um to gain some fans that they didn't have um, to kind of move themselves back into D.C. because I've heard that time and time again from my experience in D.C. that people are just unhappy with the team. This is like I, this is like a new leaf. You have a new head coach, and if you do this correctly, if you um, do what's necessary to rebuild relationships within the Native community, within the D.C. community, black community, whatever, uh, I think that this could be a fresh start, a great start for them. Yeah, let's hope so. I mean, let, let's really hope so. And, and the most important 
part about all that is let's stop offending our native forefathers. So stop offending them. Okay, that's 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 the big that's the big point out of all of this. And anything that comes out of it that's a benefit, that's great. But to stop, you know, again, I've heard the voices every time I go to an Indian reservation to to do something. Are they ever going to change that name? Okay, so now that they're going to change that name, that's a huge. I mean, that's a healing. That's a that could be a healing thing. So let's let's hope they can seize this. There's no reason that that great city and its great fans um, shouldn't shouldn't get what they deserve. They've been loyal. They've dealt with a lot of bad over the past few years. And so let's just hope that, like you said, this is a this is a fresh start with a great head coach and a great man in Ron Rivera to to really to really start a, a very healthy chapter in that organization. Right, and that brings me to this is going to bring me. This is a controversial question for you. What does this name change mean for Robert E. Lee High Schools and elementary schools and middle schools? No, 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 we're going into a big rabbit hole because there's a whole lot of Stonewall Jacksons and Robert E. Lee's and J.E.B. Stewart's and, and all of these. Um, look, you know, when I lived up there, I lived out, I think it was Stonewall Jackson High School near Manassas, Virginia, right. which is a predominant at the time, I think, had a significantly black enrollment. And I was like, do you guys even know? You know, but <laughs> Do you even know? But I mean, it's, you know, look. I, I just don't know. We're seeing Confederate monuments come down. We're seeing you're seeing people not honor certain things anymore. I mean, I, I really, I really don't have an answer. I mean, look, as a, as as a black man, I'd love to see it all go. I'd love to see it all go. Um, but I, I still like the history to be there so people can understand it's real. I mean, when you go to when you go to New Orleans and you see uh, you know the flea market by the river. You know, that's where slaves used to be traded. There Make sure is. everybody knows there that. It is. You know, when you go to Charleston, South Carolina, and I think it's a building, the Daughters of the Confederacy, where they have the big slave trading block. It's offensive, but this is real, right? It really happened. You know, this really happened on the streets down by the water in Georgetown. Okay? So I'd love to see all of this stuff go if it's offensive. But at the same time, tear it down. But don't let it. Don't let anybody know what happened here. Don't let everybody know what happened here. And because some people could be prideful in it, some people could be hurt hurt by it. But slavery or enslavement of human beings happened. Um, wars were fought over the enslavement of, of black people, and we should never ever forget that. We should also teach in our history in our history lessons every side. Because as we know, history is written by the by the victors, but it seems in this country sometimes it's written by the losers, which is why we have Robert E. Lee's and Jeff Stewart's and Stonewall Jackson High Schools and things like that. Correct. And that, I've heard people say this um, because in Germany, they they keep all the history from um, the Holocaust and World War II, World War One. They keep it all as a reminder of what not to do and how not to live. And I've heard that a lot in when, can talk, when talking about uh, the Confederate flags and a lot of different things. Um, but 
my issue has always been with that theory. We don't treat it as something, in my opinion, this is my opinion, we don't treat it as something that should not be repeated. It's just like there, and if if you know, you know. Like you well, said, the flea market. Yeah, I mean, look, it's not it's something that should not be celebrated. Right. Right, you know, when I worked in Richmond, Virginia, Monument Avenue, where you see all these monuments being torn down to Confederate soldiers. Hey, man, you know, I, I remember being going to look at an apartment when I moved there and the person told me, hey, it's free, it's available, it's this much money. And then they saw me and they're like, yeah, no. <laughs> right? So, but you drive down this elegant street with all these Confederate statues and this is a source of pride. Look, when I lived down there, it was the late 80s and that's when the Martin Luther King holiday was a big issue. And, and, and I think they put it on the same weekend or the same date or something as you know, down there, they honored uh, Robert E. Lee Day, um, Stonewall Jackson Day at the time. So, look, it's we're at a very we're, we're at a very interesting page in history, and are we going to turn it, or, or are we going to get by that, or you know? So it seems that way. I think the young people in this country are are moving things, um, but you know, we'll we'll see because there's clearly a resistance to it, and we'll see. Um, how much, you know, how much influence this movement has. Um, but I, I do think, you know, this is, this is a, a time that change is happening before our eyes. Right. And, and as they speak about this movement in history, they're going to automatically link it with uh, the coronavirus because I think that, like you said, this gave birth to the movement. Uh, and my question for you is a question that everyone wants to know. College football is canceling. Um, is do you believe the NFL will have a season this year? Yes. Okay. I do. Plain, plain and simple. It, it will have a season. Will there be fans? We'll see. But you know, unless the players decide to sit it out, when we know there's talks going out the NFL and the NFL PA, I do believe that there will be a season. And that that season for the red for the Washington. Look, I need to get out of it. I need to get rid of it. It's I'm not hard. I've been saying it, yeah, I've been saying it's a mess. The Washington Football Club, they have an opportunity with Chase Young coming out and Dwayne Haskins. Do you think Haskins uh, will shape up under Rivera and turn into a Cam S type player? I know he's not a runner like that. He should should be a very good player. I mean, that team's got talent. and. The one thing Ron Rivera will do is he will get his arms around things organizationally. There will some of the stupid leaks that come out of that building will stop. Mm. Um, he will. There will be a sense of accountability. It won't be you know a scorched earth type thing like it is in some organizations, but there will be accountability with players, with people working in the building. Um, I don't think it's going to happen overnight. But there, there, there's no reason why that team should not be competitive in a year or two if Scott Turner, the offensive coordinator, can get Dwayne Haskins to play up to his ability. If he can't, remember Kyle Allen is there. That's someone Ron, Ron Rivera and Scott Turner are familiar with. So, yes. I mean, they've done something to kind of backstop the most important position with somebody they're familiar with. Um, it's an odd year. You know, there's been no real offseason. So we'll see, but yeah, I mean, there's no reason with some of the talent that they have and, the, and the, as good of a coach as Ron Rivera is that, that they can't be competitive in the next year or two. 
I agree. And I love the fact that they put such a great head coaching core together. And I say head coaching core because all these guys, offensive coordinator, head coach Ron Rivera, and Jack Del Rio, they've all been head coaches and they've had some sort of success. And putting all those guys together, egos aside, like I think that they can they can really lead a team. We'll see. We'll see. We'll, <laughs> we'll see. see. We'll I see. mean, it's, uh, it's, sounds it's good not, on like paper. It has, it's not like it hasn't been tried before. Sounds good on paper, right? Right. Okay. And your your prediction, who do you think is going to come out on top? Um, Cam is at the Patriots, which is, whoa, mind-blowing. Uh, who, who do you think leads the league this year? In... The NFC, let's just say the NFC East. Oh, the NFC East? Yes. Uh, you know, I think I think I think it's gonna be uh, as much as much as gonna drive people crazy. I think the Cowboys are gonna be pretty good. It's gonna be the Cowboys and the Eagles. But okay. I'm a I'm a huge fan of Mike McCarthy. Um, I think what he's gonna do with Dak and the type of offense that he runs, and getting Mike Nolan there as defensive coordinator. Um, I I think I mean look, they're not gonna run the ball as much as they used to. Mike McCarthy's he throws it. So we'll see how good Dak is by them getting C.D. Lamb in the draft. And, I mean, that's that should be a really good football team. And I think the Eagles are, are pretty stacked as well if Carson Wentz can stay healthy. What do you think happened with McCarthy and the Packers? I just thought that was so odd because it, it was I, his time. He'd been there. He'd been there for a long time. I mean, I forget what it was—12, 13 years—and it was his time. Yeah. Um, he's a he's a he's a hell of a man. Um, a heck of a coach. He's put together a very strong staff, um, and they've got they've got players down there. <laughs> so know. you know, it's yeah. So and, and again, I just think with Dak's skill set, what Mike McCarthy can do, um, in the version of the West Coast that he coaches, Dak could have a really big year, and the Cowboys could be pretty good. Great. I feel like I just want to ask you a thousand million questions. I know you're going to answer on TV tomorrow, but um, my final question for you is on Patrick Mahomes, big money man. What do you think about his deal and the future for him? Well, the deal, I mean, as long as 10 years, 450 million, I think with, if he hits everything, it can go up to 500 million. Um, but the structure of it um, is significant, but it's not crippling. He's going to emerge. If he stays healthy, he's one of the best quarterbacks to ever play in this game. He can run. He's got a high IQ. He's got a big arm. He's got a great, great coach in Andy Reid. He's got a great offensive coordinator enemy. Um, there's no reason why he's, he's not going to take greatness to the next level. There's, there's no reason why. I, I think he's going to be just someone we're talking about, like we're talking about Tom Brady or we talk about Drew Brees or players like that. All right, Steve. I'm looking forward to what Washington Football Club does there to you go. Uh, change some things around here because some things need to be changed and uh, r- wrongs need to be made right. Oh, there you go. Well said, Tiffany. <laughs> All right. Um, please follow Steve on Twitter at Weish89. Again, it's always a pleasure to speak with you. It was a pleasure having you on the show today. Thank you so much for having me on. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to have to leave it there. As always, we're bringing you the hottest Washington football club topics with a twist. Be sure to follow me on Instagram at TTALegend. That's T-T-A-L-E-G-E-N-D. Have a great one, and remember to stay riled up.